He is the great I am. His presence is here with us right now. His presence is always here, but you guys have really entered into his presence this morning. That's, that's what you're feeling and sensing right now. He really wants to minister to you today. I, I know that there's needs. The need that keeps coming to my mind and, and is the need of this family and the families that are struggling this week because of this accident that happened in town with these two young men. And I know it's a um, it's hard time. Life, life can be difficult. Life can be hard. I don't read in the Bible where it says that, that everybody, um, in the instant that they came into the understanding and the knowledge of God, life was perfect from then on. I don't see that in there anywhere. I see a lot of things, though, that say when we turn to Him, He gets us through Difficult times. We, t- we had a great day at Men's Prayer Breakfast. Thank you, Rudy, and, and all those that helped you with that. And, but the, the talk really got to, I noticed there was a lot of talk about blessings and things of that nature. But the verse that jumps out, I think it was Jack had mentioned it, is that though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, not that we walk into the valley of the shadow of death to remain in this valley and shadow of death, but we walk through it. So we are going to go through things. Um, God was, has been revealing to me, and I mentioned it yesterday, that, that um, sometimes we start to feel bad about ourselves and bad about God and bad about life when the battles happen. Oh, there's a battle, shame on me, or there's a battle, shame on God, and there's a battle. But you know what? He, he didn't say there wouldn't be battles, but he did promise victory over the battles. That's why we can, as Christians, come together as believers and praise Him and worship Him. We're, we're going through the book of Acts, and we're not very far into it. We, we'll finally get to chapter 3 today. But, but as we're going through the book of Acts, you know, God, Jesus, Jesus Christ had left them. And you guys have heard all this, but they're in the, this upper room, or they're in this room, and they're praying. And what are they praying? They're in... They're in turmoil right now. Their, their leader has gone, and he yes, he has promised, but he's gone. And he's not just gone, they crucified him. They came after him to kill him, and they were upset because they might be in the same type of situation. They were his followers, and being a follower of Christ was not a popular thing in that day. But they prayed, and they sought the Lord, and he brought them through this valley of death, you might call it, for them. And he didn't just bring them through, but he empowered them in the midst of that time with the Holy Spirit. So not just to come through this valley, but to exit on the other side of the valley much different than they were when they went into it. They came out much greater, much stronger because of why the Holy Spirit had come upon them and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. I don't know why bad things happen other than I know that there is evil at work in the world. There's evil at work, but I do know that God can redeem the time. God can bring us through these difficult times and help us exit on the other side of it greater than we were when we went into it. That's the prayer that we need to have when there's families within our community that are struggling, is that, God, I know they're in the midst of the struggle. How can I be a part of helping them through it? How can the community be a part of helping them through that? But, God, I want them to come through it greater than they went into it. That is our prayer for them. As you intercede for them, intercede on behalf of their, their soul. That they'll come to know Christ if they don't know Him in a great and mighty way, and if they do know Him in a better way, in a closer way. Life... Life can be difficult, but life can have abundance. That's not even my message this morning. So we're in Book of Acts, and um, today I want to cover some ground. Um, and so we've we uh, got through Pentecost a few weeks ago, and and I touched briefly on on a sermon. So right after, so the disciples are in the upper room, 
and the Holy Spirit's come upon them. They begin, they're, they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. They begin to speak in foreign languages in a different tongue, and it creates a commotion, and people come running from around that area because they hear this noise going on, and they're checking it out. They, they were... Uh, you ever been on the freeway and you see an accident going on and so you kind of have to check it out? Well, that's kind of what was going on. There was something going on and they had to slow down and check it out. So one of the disciples, Peter, says, hey, 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 let me get your attention. Let me explain to you what's going on here. And I imagine he was really excited because have you ever been in a situation where you didn't know why things were happening in life, but then all of a sudden you had this aha moment, you began to understand, oh, this is Oh, and this is happening because of, and, and the pieces start coming together. Well, the pieces started coming together for Peter. God gave him, the Holy Spirit gave him revelation. He says, okay, I know that you're confused about what you're seeing, but here, I, I think I figured it out, and let me tell you. And so, so Peter gets up before them, and I'm just going to take some little snippets out of, out of this. It's in Acts chapter 2. I'm going to um, skip around. We'll start around verse 24, and we'll get to the end of that chapter or not even to the end, but close to the end. It says in Acts 2.24, this is an awesome verse. It says, God raised him up. So he's saying this is one of the things that happened. Is Remember this Jesus Christ, this one that you crucified? <laughs> well, God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because, and this is an awesome phrase, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. That's our God. When you're in the low places, when you're in the shadow of the valley of death, the power that they were experiencing and the power that they saw is the same power that Christ has for us. That even death could not hold him down. He could not be held by it. Then he goes on and he's telling these people, I would love to be able to preach a message by this, and you'll see why at the end of it. Um, Not so much what he says, but the outcome of it. Acts 2, verse 32 goes on to say, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are his witnesses. So this commotion you see going on, we're his witnesses, that we did see God raise him up. And so let me tell you a little bit about that. Being therefore now exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out, what was it? The promise of the Holy Spirit, that he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. What you're seeing and hearing is a part of the promise. See, the pieces are coming together now. Jesus Christ died, he was crucified, he rose again, he ascended, he's now at the right hand of the Father, and remember he promised... He promised the Holy Spirit, and that is being poured out right now, he's telling them. It's being poured out right now, and you yourselves are seeing and hearing it. Now, Acts 2.36, he goes on as he's explaining things to him. He says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. See, they had, an, they had a, a, a respect for God. What they did not like was the fact that this Jesus was proclaiming to be his son because they wanted it in the form that they had decided it needed to be. Man said, this is the way it's got to be, and he's not fitting into that, so we're going to reject that. And Peter's saying, no, 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 but check this out. Here's some proof. This was the son. This is his son. And this is his Holy Spirit. And he goes on to try to convince them of this. He says, this is the Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. All of a sudden, the Spirit moves within them. The pieces are coming together. Think of that time, that salvation experience you've had. Oh, wow, actually, I I need to do this. I, I need to be saved. I need to come into this, this commune. This, I need to commune and have a relationship with, with God. I need to believe. They were cut to the heart. It didn't say it made sense to them. We get caught up 
in, in this part too much. We start, it has to make sense to us sometimes before we'll believe. But no, no, it, when, when it hits you here, you can't help but to believe. And so they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Okay, I get it. I was wrong. Now, I'm, now I have understanding. I can be right, I hope. What do I do? You have friends and you have family out there that will come into that. This What will happen is you'll live life and that will be your gospel. That will be your message to them. And, and they'll see your life change. How many have experienced this? You don't have to raise hands, but how many times have you, after this salvation experience, people start to see a difference in you? You're different. What's, what's changed in you? And, and I would hope you'd say, well, I've gotten to know my father again. I, I've connected with my father, and, and I'm saved. I'm a Christian, and, and it's a good thing. And, and then they start watching, and they start putting the pieces together and connecting the dots. And as they connect the dots and they put the pieces together, there is going to be this time, and I'm telling you almost prophetically, there will be a time that, that they'll be cut to the heart, that it'll be like, oh, I need that. And just as they ask the disciples, well, what do we do? They may ask you, what do we do? What, what are you going to tell them? What are you going to tell them when they say, okay, I see what you're doing. I, it must be real. Well, what do you do? Now, now, some would say, well, let me come to church with me. Oh, I don't know about that. That's a little scary. <laughs> that church thing. That's where they kind of hug on you and and I mean, that's kind of a, but maybe that's what you would tell them. But you could tell them, you know, we could actually pray to him right now. Well, I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to pray good enough myself. I don't even know how to lead people to Christ in prayer. Well, do you know how to talk? If you know how to converse and have conversation, you know how to talk with the Lord. Because what do you really want to know? You want to know that he died for you, he rose again. And he wants to save you from the mess of this world. So God, I know you're there. And we want to be saved from the mess of this world. And I believe in you. Save me, Lord. It can be as simple as that. It, it doesn't have to be a formulated, check the box. Okay, we did A, then we did A1, and then we did A2. And then we cross those off and we go to section B. No, that's not... Salvation's relational. It's a heart thing. That's why they, it was good they were cut to the heart, not made sense in the mind. And, and so that's, that's what happens at this day. So as they were cut to the heart, and they say, brothers, what shall we do? I, I imagine they were just really tore up about it as there was a sense of urgency. We have to do something, and I don't know what it is. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized is simply this. Turn away from what you've been doing. Put to bed that old self. Change your, your thinking. Change your... And people are like, well, I don't want to change. Oh, change is so hard. Don't ask me to Change. I'm one that would say, I'm all about change until you ask me to change. I'm all for change until you ask me to change, and then, uh uh uh, don't touch me. Don't even go there. But repent and baptize is, is that. It, it is change. And, and that's usually what turns people off is that they don't want to change because it's become comfortable to them. They need help in change. Repenting and being baptized, yeah, they come to that point in time where it is somewhat emotional and and yes, I I have to do this. And, And they pray the prayer. But that doesn't change their life entirely. That that's the beginning of life change for them. Yes, it's at that moment 
they're saved. Yes, it's at that moment that they, if they were to walk out the door and, and, and fall dead in the parking lot, they would go to heaven. Yes, I believe that. But then change needs to occur for those that don't drop dead in the parking lot. Because there's an opportunity to be more like Christ in this life. And that's what they were seeing in the disciples. Because as they become more like Christ in this life, and as they begin to change, guess what happens with the people around them? They start to see a change in their life, start to experience something different about them. They start putting pieces together. They get cut to the heart to the point where they come to know Christ. It is a pyramid scheme designed by God to save a whole lot of people. Because he desires people to really come into the full knowledge of him. So he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children. What is promised for you and your children? The gift of the Holy Spirit is promised for you. Now, this was a long time ago. Many, 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 many generations ago. So was it just for that generation and then their children? No, it goes on to say, and for all who are far off. That's us. We are far off from the many, 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 many generations. We are the far off. So the promise of the Holy Spirit is available for us, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them. He continued to preach, probably more than they could keep track of. They stopped taking notes at one point, and so they didn't have it for the Bible. I'm, I don't know that. I'm just saying that. And continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Do we have a crooked generation? There's nothing new under the sun. What was crooked then is crooked still. But there's salvation ready and available. And then this is the part I would love to be able to see this happen here in this city. It says, so those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day, that one day, about 3,000 souls. So a couple things that, this is not the heart of the message, but I I didn't want to skip through this because there's powerful things that happened here. For there to be 3,000 souls added to the kingdom, there had to have been at least 3,000 people attracted by the Holy Spirit. It it wasn't, we're going to schedule a meeting, we're going to make sure we promote it for three straight weeks, and then through that promotion, we'll get a lot of people to show up. And we're going to make sure that, and, and I'm kind of preaching to myself because I'm the structure guy. I want things in place. But, but we're going to have them just show up and they're going to, no, that's not, they didn't have the structure. They didn't have the promotion. What did they have? They had the power of the Holy Spirit that came upon them, in a sense, took them over. And they were just worshiping. And I'm sure in that time of worship that, that I know that signs and wonders would come from this. It was attractive. See, the Holy Spirit isn't something that people, that detracts and, re, and causes people to run. The Holy Spirit is attractive, is very attractive. So attractive that more than 3,000 folks came to see what was going on. Because the, see, I would love for us to be known as the church of commotion, so much was going on, people had to go check it out. I remember hearing stories growing up that, that people at times, I don't know if it was critical or not, but they would say, yeah, at that church, they don't even sing till the, till the words are like written on the wall. As if it was a sign and wonder that God would put words on the wall and then we'd sing, but they didn't realize we had an overhead projector and, and we'd project the words on the wall and then we'd sing to those words. It, but I want us to be known as a, a church of commotion, not in a weird way that scares people off, but in an awesome way that attracts people because, the Holy, because it's the Holy Spirit and not us. If it's us, we can get really weird. I don't even know if that's a politically correct word, weird. But if we're just really going after God, going after the Holy Spirit, it'll be an attractive thing. Worship this morning was an attractive thing. It was something that we wanted to be in the midst of. We wanted to soak in it and experience it, be a part of it. 
Others, others need to know of it so that they can also be added to the kingdom. Yes, if somebody's quickened to the heart or cut to the heart and they want to know what to do, bring them to church. And church, know that they're coming and it should be attractive. Well, what do I do? Worship. Praise Him. Invite the Holy Spirit to come upon you. That's the most attractive thing you can do as a church is allow the Holy Spirit to come upon you every opportunity possible. So, 3,000 people got added to the church, and now what do they do with them? Acts 2, verse 42 says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. This is day one of church. This is when church actually began. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, and they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That was church. I have a, a video I want to show you. And, and the reason I want to show it to you is because we as New Testament church draw our, our direction from this very section. It's, it's that we want to come together and devote ourselves. And, and what's that mean, devote ourselves? To have quality of being, not showing up. If you go back and you study the Greek on this, it's quality of being. For quality of being to be true for us is we have to come together and engage in being here. And and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. It's being engaged in the teaching and fellowship of this group or of this group, this church. And from the breaking of bread, the common meal, just having dinner with one another, and to the prayers. So, so they would come together and they were constantly talking about the revelation of what God's been showing them. They were constantly learning, constantly developing, constantly growing, even if it was a light meal or a time of prayer. We as a church, you'll see on your bulletin, on our website, we have a website, ntcwoodland.org. You'll see on there that the church... we. Our mission is this, to discover the reality of God's love. How real is God's love for you? And then how real is it gonna, does it need to be for others? We want people to be able to come here and discover how real God's love for them is. And then to develop this relationship. Discover love, develop relationship. Develop a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and His church. Well, for that to happen, then we have to be devoted. We have to have quality of being. And then the, the last part is to demonstrate our God-given purposes in life. It doesn't stop with just discovering the reality of His love, but as you discover the reality of His love, we need to be discipled. We need to grow. We need to know more. And, and we see within um, our church body and even outside the church body, there's needs I, when, when we became parents, we didn't know what we were doing. I know many of you do, but we had no clue. When they screamed, we checked a couple things. Is the diaper clean, and are they hungry? If they were still screaming, I don't know what to do. Call mom. Call the doctor. Pray a lot. Intercede. You know, we didn't know. There's a lot of things when you first come to know Christ that you just don't know. 
devote yourselves to teaching. Devote yourselves to, we have Wednesday night classes. We have um, a class coming up, uh, and this is, this is not a, a funny way to plug a class. Our heart's desire is to help you. Oh, I want to see you have an opportunity to be, to be free to worship Him with all your being. Now, I dance around the topic because the topic has to do with money. And for some reason, money and church, when they come together, it's like this ugly crash and people just reject it. I'm not here to ask for your money. But I want you to hear what this man has to say. We're going to have a class. It's called Financial Peace University. And, and here's my heart behind it. I don't want your money. And I'll show you later on what, why I'm talking about. It's not for the church. I want you to have financial peace and financial freedom. Because what I've come to understand in my own life, in our life together, that many times when it came to ministry, it was the financial peace that would hold us back from being free to move forward fully into ministry. Because I couldn't afford it, or I, I mean, <laughs> I've been, I, I've had lots of income and even greater outgo in my life. I, and I don't think I'm the only one. And it's a very stressful time. It's the part of the Christian life that we tend to not talk about because it's uncomfortable. And it's not that I want you to be uncomfortable. I want you to be free. I, I, I don't want you to have worries from week to week. And, and I mean, we used to have a budget, and in our budget, because there was no money, we couldn't budget food because we were too busy feeding Wells Fargo and the mortgage and all these other people. And then we would, God, we pray that you put food on our table. But the fact of the matter is there was things I should have done differently early on. And if I had known, we could have. And so we want to be able to equip you to be free. And so here is a, you may have heard of Dave Ramsey. He's on the radio a lot, TV. Uh, Bill and Michelle Manson, our couple here, are going to be facilitating a class Wednesdays starting June 22nd. Um, there is a fee for this class, and so we want to give you enough time in advance to prepare if you would like to take a Financial Peace University class. And um, it's, it is uh, affordable. It'll be, um, but you get a lot of tools with it. Uh, and he'll teach you how to use those tools. Um, and it's something, that it's, it's not money that even comes to the church. It's money, you go online, and you register online, and you pay there. But here is a, a clip. Uh, it's a longer one, so settle in. It's about eight minutes. If you could play that for us, Carol. Welcome to Financial Peace University. Financial Peace these are words that just don't go together in our culture anymore. Too many people are struggling with this subject of money. Too many people are struggling with this subject of money in their relationships, in their marriages. Too many people are struggling with this subject of money in their area of their careers. We just don't know what to do with this whole thing called money. Well, I found out something about money. Money's actually fun if you got some. Boy, I tell you what, it does weave its way into the tapestry of our lives and it does mess with us on just about every possible level. So we're glad you're here. I can promise you this, we are going to have some fun as we talk about money. We're going to laugh, we're going to cry, I'm going to talk to you about relationships, I'm going to talk to you about your spiritual walk, your emotions, and we're going to change the way we handle our lives around this subject of money as we go through this class together. It's absolutely imperative that you really stay plugged in. Now, some of you have, uh, you, you just didn't want to be here. You were drug here against your will. I know that because I was out in the parking lot and I saw several sets of heel prints on the way in. <laughs> Some of you, Dave Ramsey, the name has become a cuss word in your house. Some of you, one lady I was doing a book signing a while back and she said, you know, I don't even know you and I don't like you. <laughs> and some of you, that's you. I understand. I get that. We are going to have some fun, and if that's you, I'm probably actually more on your team than on the team of that nerd that brought you. I'm a guy that's been there, done that, got the t-shirt. 
I grew up not rich. How many of you grew up not rich? When I got out of college and graduated from college, my wife and I got married. We were so broke we couldn't pay attention. We didn't know what we were going to do. We graduated from college. Our net worth was a half a box of no-dose. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> and, and we got married and started off our lives broke. How many of you, when you started off, you started off basically broke? You know what I'm talking about. We ain't got money, honey, but we got love. <laughs> it's a good thing, too, because we ain't got no money. Well, that's how we started out. And I started buying and selling real estate, and I got rich at least by a kid from Antioch, Tennessee standards. I ended up with about $4 million worth of real estate starting from nothing by the time I was 26 years old. However, I had done some dumb things. Nothing immoral, nothing illegal or anything like that. I didn't steal from anybody. I didn't lie, from, lie to anybody. I was just stupid. I borrowed too much money. And our largest bank got sold to another bank. And then word got out on the street that Dave was in trouble and another bank got sold to another bank. And they started calling our notes and we spent the next two and a half years of our life losing everything we owned. We were sued. We were foreclosed on. And finally, with a brand new baby, a toddler, and a marriage hanging on by a thread, we were bankrupt. I was a 28-year-old, young dad, young husband, scared out of my mind. I didn't know what to do. I remember standing with that shower so hot in my face that I could just barely stand there and I would just stand there and cry because I didn't know what to do. I didn't have any steps. No one talked about this stuff much. And then I started slowly discovering that the Bible had some things to say about money. I started reading a man named Larry Burkett and then I started reading another guy named Ron Blue met another man named Howard Dayton, and these men had been teaching biblical finance throughout North America, and I started learning from them and started applying those principles in our lives because we were so beat up, we didn't know what to do. And see, I had all these letters and licenses after my name that says I'm supposed to know something about money. I've got a finance degree. And there I sat broke. Apparently, something was wrong with my plan, and I needed a new one. You see, I do everything backwards. Most people meet God at the bottom. I met him on the way up. I just got to know him on the way down. <laughs> what we're talking about here is, is that we found the truth. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Everybody stand up for a second. Here's what I want you to do. I want first, understand that I can see all of you and I will mess with you if you don't play my games. <laughs> what I want you to do is I want everyone in here to close your eyes. Thank you. Okay, now, here's what I want you to do. With your eyes closed, even if you don't know the answer, it's okay to be wrong. It's just not okay to not play. You've got to play. So even if you don't know the answer, you've got to guess, I want you to point north. Keep your eyes closed and point north. Now, stick with your plan. Stick with your, your, your feeling. Open your eyes and look around. Someone is lost. According to my compass, north is right through here. Now, I won't point him out, but one guy was pointing this way, and he did a little cheerleading move. Everybody have a seat. The point is, is that this is the truth. That is north. That is the truth. And we live in a culture today where people think they can make up their own truth. You can't make up your own truth. There's a truth that's independent of you. And your feelings are often not true. Some of you went with your best feeling. You had no idea and you launched off going south. If you want to go to Canada, this is the direction. You can get there this way, but it's the long way around. <laughs> this is the truth. This is the truth. And to the extent that you are not lined up with your compass, you're what's known as lost. And you're going to bring pain to your life, and you're going to bring shortage to your life, and you're going to bring problems to your life. I know. I've lived that. So, how you feel really doesn't matter. And we have to remember that it's about choices. Personal finance is about 80% behavior. 
It's only about 20% head knowledge. That's why God chooses to work through money to change and transform us. For some of you, he's going to use this issue of money to heal your marriage. For some of you, he's going to use this issue of money to put discipline in your life in a place and in a way that you never dreamed you would see it. You're going to make different choices after having gone through this. It absolutely works. Financial Peace University began about 20 years ago. I started it with a bad suit and an overhead projector. The typical family going through Financial Peace University pays off $5,300 in debt and saves $2,700. That's an $8,000 change in position is the typical person or the typical family going through this. And, and so if you pay a little bit for this course and you go through it and you get $8,000 change, I call that a bargain. I call that a good buy. This whole course is taught by me on video, and afterwards is when the most important thing happens, and that's the small group discussion. Go to the small group discussion. Bring your budget each time and be accountable to the lesson. Make sure you're learning the lesson. Unpack this with other people. It feels a little weird at first, but go in there. The accountability to change your behavior is the key. That's the big deal, and you're definitely going to want to do that. Again, there is no doubt that this process called Financial Peace University works. The only question is whether you're going to be involved. And so if you haven't signed up yet, now is the time. So, June 22nd, if you're interested, again, Bill and Michelle, they'll be in the foyer today. Please touch base with them. The, um, as we get to a close today, I want you to understand a couple things. We're not looking for, first of all, it's not about the money. It's about the community. Church is not about the money, it's about community. If you, if you ever need to tell anybody about church, tell them it's not about the money, it's about community. See, what, what you read in this passage here in, in the end of Acts, it wasn't that they came together and, and what it is is in this place, they wanted to be a community so much they, got, they sold everything. They brought it all together and piled it up basically in the middle of the room. And as they had need, they went and they would pull out and have... But here's the other part about it. It said here in verse 46, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, which was with great joy and, and with humble hearts. They were grateful for whatever they had. See, true financial freedom, in my mind, isn't about having more. It's being grateful and having a great amount of peace and contentment with what I have. Because what I have cannot be measured in dollars and cents if you truly are a believer in Christ. Because what you have in Christ is life and life more abundant, is peace and then more peace, is joy and then more joy. It's all these things overflowing, not just for me, but for all those that are around me. But we tend to measure uh, success in dollars and cents. And then we become bonded in, in, in bondage to that. See, and then, and then it says, so that it, with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor. See, we think that status brings favor. We think if we have a lot of stuff, if we have the biggest home, I was that guy. I, here was my story. We bought a larger home here in town and it used to be on this bend. And, and I'll just tell you, we lost it. We lost everything, but we had this large home in town. And I remember that my boss from Phoenix and then the big wig from Minnesota flew into town and was working here in little old Woodland. And I couldn't wait to show them my house because that was my favor. And in their eyes, oh, wow, you got the biggest house on the block. Yeah, I do. Because I thought that was favor. But no, that's not favor. If, if anything, it would, it would start these weird feelings amongst people like, well, jealousy or the fact of the matter was I couldn't afford it. I, I was struggling to maintain. And, and when I finally got to a place, it was like, God, I don't even care anymore about that. I just want you, God. 
Whatever it is you want, I want that for me. Now, I will tell you, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy to lose things. It, it, it's still a battle, even in this day. You want, you, your flesh rises up and says, well, I want that. But I want you to understand what true freedom looks like. See, they came together and they praised God and they had favor. They had status. And, and their status was found in Christ. They were identified as Christians later on in the book of Acts because they were like Christ. And, and, and they had favor, not just with God, but it says they had favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day. Now, now, real quick, if you're wondering if the church is interested in the money, no, it's not. that's not the case. Because if we truly are the New Testament church, we're going to be like Peter and John. See, in the next chapter, we, Peter and John, they're going to the temple to pray, the ninth hour. And there was a man laying there, lame from birth, who was being carried, whom they had laid daily at this gate of the temple. He, he was like the, the person outside of Walmart that's always holding up the sign looking for money. He was always there at the gate of the temple. It was called the beautiful gate to ask for alms and, and the, of those that were entering the temple. And seeing him, Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked to re- he asked them, you know, would you help me to receive alms? And Peter directed his gaze at him and said, and so did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. Now, if, if Peter and John, the apostles in the time, were all about collecting money from people and only that then they would have been able to give him much silver and much gold. But what they said was, no, I have no silver and gold. See, tithes and offerings isn't about receiving, it's about giving. It's it's giving with this heart of God, I don't need because I've got you, and so I want to give because others may have need. And the church is here to help facilitate meeting needs. Not to collect funds, but to meet needs. And so Peter and John, much like the church, saw a need. And what they saw the real need was, wasn't silver and gold. What they saw as the need was he needed to learn that there was power and healing and he could rise up and walk. And they go on and say, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. See, the need was facilitated. The need was met because God had established the church the New Testament church in such a way to meet needs where a community came together in unity. They communed together. It was this koinonia. It wasn't just, I know you and you know of me. We know each other. We spend time together. We grow together. We learn together. We hurt together. We have victory together. It's togetherness that they had. That was church. And in that, no one lacked Because we all knew what each other's needs were and we met those needs together. And then we saw needs outside of our community. We didn't have to present them with with a, a curt, here's a dollar, good luck. No, they were able to say, rise up and walk because God is real. And his power within us is real. There's people that we see all the time. And yes, we have a big presence with Forth and Hope and and the shelter. And and I'm telling you that God's favor is absolutely amazing. You know, when God wants to do so much in our community, people are are asking for our help. And, And I say our help, they're asking for the Christian community's help because they see the need. See, the people that were coming in through the beautiful gate, they saw the need. But they had an agenda. And quite honestly, they didn't think they had the means to meet the need. God has given you all the means you need to meet the needs that you encounter every day. You're fully equipped. You're abundant. And so we as the Christian community have the means needed to meet all the needs within our community. I'm, I'm picking on us. 
I'm picking on the entire Christian community because people are asking for our help because they recognize the need. They don't have the means, but they think we may. Which gives us opportunity. Gives us an amazing opportunity to rise up and say, yes, let's come together. Let's commune. Let's strengthen ourselves together. Here's what the enemy does, though. He says, no, because if you guys come together and you become unified and you start having that koinonia-type fellowship, guess what will happen? You'll be powerful. So I'm not going to allow that to happen. In fact, I'm going to allow you not to have unity within the church. I'm going to try to prevent you from having true close fellowship because if that happens, you guys will be so in love with one another and so in love with God that you'll take this community for him, and I can't allow that to happen. But God says, no, I have purposed you and I have empowered you and I have given you the Holy Spirit to empower you to go out and have first tier, have fellowship, have unity, have koinonia, know one another, be there for one another, help one another, because then you'll have no need. You'll be fully equipped to go out and help meet the need. And then the need's not going to be. See, working with homelessness, I understand that it takes money sometimes to to hire people to be there to help meet the needs. But I am fully committed to this. That I will, as, as a director of Fourth and Hope, will hire as minimal staff as possible because what I do know is this, that the real need that needs to be met is a spiritual need. And when we have faith-based Christian believers coming in as volunteers to help meet those needs... That's when lives will change. It's not going to be a checkbook that changes a life. It'll be believers that have a belief and faith in Jesus Christ, sharing love with others that will change lives. Yes, I can get fired up about it. But I want you to get fired up about it. Just be present. Be available. Don't let the enemy disrupt what he ha- what God has destined for us as a church. This this week I have a couple meetings with city pastors and they don't know it, but I am going to hijack some of our meeting and we're going to talk about homelessness within our community. And, and they're ready. They're, they they want to talk about it. I know I'm going over time, but I have I've I've been running Fourth and Hope now for three and a half years, and and I don't want this to turn in, and, and I don't want this to be where there's Fourth and Hope and there's church and Pastor Doug is executive director there, and then he's pastor here and he lives these two lives. I can't live two lives. I can only live the life God's given me, and this is where God's placed me to have influence, and I've put off saying, church, let's, let's engage in that. But I think God's preparing us that we're going to engage with, it doesn't have to be even called forth and hope, but we're going to engage in helping those that are hurting the homeless. We're going to engage in those that are hurting in, in, in drug addiction and, and bondage. It touches everybody in our community. So we can say, no, we don't want to go into that category of service well you you can't miss it if you want to interact with anybody because everybody is impacted by addiction or homelessness in some way shape or form you have a family member or you know of somebody close that has struggled with it and it's not an economic battle it is a spiritual battle and you are spiritual beings and you are the solution So it's going to be time for us to rise up real soon here and say, how can I help? Maybe it's today. Maybe you're saying, how can I help? What can I do? And it's really easy to help. It's it's called the ministry of presence. I did not intend to even go there today. What happens when you're called out and, and, and kind of put on the spot to, to go and do? You're, here's what happens. You, you get this like, yeah, yeah, I want to go do this. I want to go do this. I got to go to work and pay my bills. And yes, go do that. But let's figure out how to be free so that way we can have freedom to serve, freedom to help, and not be tied 
I'm telling you, I got to a point where I had to pay $3,200 a month just on my mortgage. Craziness. Bondage. I understand financial bondage. I also understand financial freedom. I want you to be able to walk in that because there's a need that needs to be met. And when you're bound, you can't meet that need. Would you guys all stand with me, please? Dear God, we just worship you. We praise you. We thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. I thank you, God, for giving us the opportunity to be your disciples. Thank you for allowing us to discover how much you truly love us. Lord, and help us as we grow together and develop relationship together and, and work out life together, Lord, and, and in that relationship, also build our relationship with you, Lord. In that, Lord, prepare us. Prepare us. Prepare us to go out and serve. Prepare us to go out and love. See, God, I can't help but to think Peter and John were just walking by a need. And you directed them to that need. Help us to be able to walk by needs and stop and identify and meet needs, Lord. Work within us in such a way that we can't go through life without stopping and meeting the needs. You've equipped us. You've empowered us to do so. God, I I pray for that family, the two families, of the two boys that were in that horrific accident. Lord, I understand that moments of misguided judgment and things can, can cause harm. Life hurts. But I know that you desire relationship with all your creation, Lord. I know that you desire relationship with those families. Lord, I know that emotion is probably ruling the day right now, but Lord, I pray in the midst of emotion that your light would so shine in such a dark place that dark will scatter. Dark can never overcome light. So Lord, I pray that your light will shine in that family. I know that a whole community of students is suffering and hurting. I know that many lives are touched by this, but God, I pray that you'll be glorified as they come through the valley. That they'll come through the valley stronger than they went into this. They weren't expecting this. But Lord, I pray that with great expectation they'll encounter you. Now Lord, I pray for fortitude and passion to follow through on the things that you quickened within our hearts today. You've placed in our hearts a, a desire to pursue. And whatever that pursuit is, Lord, I pray that you give us fortitude and passion to see it through. Give us the power of the Holy Spirit to see it through. Don't let distraction come in and take us off our mark. Help us to stay focused on that which you've bur- which you put within us, which you've birthed within us, this burning desire to see it done. Jesus' name we pray.